Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos. So fuck you and fuck your baby and fuck your wife. <laughs> Why fuck them all? So you have headphones. We're recording at a barbecue gas station. We're not pausing this to put a baby in there. So, uh, so you can just stop it right. You're half drunk and high oh, trying to read a map. Right, here we go. We're literally. We are on, <laughs> on the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's my whole job when I'm on the road is protecting my butt. Stoner. And the fat man. He says, man. You really need to turn your life around. Fuck you, Mark. Mark, pull up the <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos. It's good to be back. This is another installment of The Ride Home. It's Sunday. It's at the end of my, uh, my week of shows, and uh, I'm currently driving home from uh, Marriott, Wisconsin. And uh, this is a show where I just kind of recap my week, uh, how the shows went, any crazy things that happened, and uh, it was actually a pretty interesting week. I started out, um, I had three shows this week, one in Clinton, Iowa, one in uh, Menong, Wisconsin, and one in Marriott, Wisconsin. So the, the first show was at the uh, Wild Rose Casino in Clinton, Iowa. And uh, it was the first time that they were doing comedy there, and I was the first show that they were going to do. And uh, it was definitely interesting, let's say that, because um, I was kind of the, uh, the guinea pig for the comedy there, so I kind of had to help them through a few things about the setup of the stage and the room and stuff. And most times when you work casinos, you know, they have a lot of money, you know, and they're trying to pull people into the casino. So they do a lot of different events, you know, they do bands and they do comedy shows and uh, variety shows and all this kind of stuff. And it's just kind of to pull people in the doors so they'll start gambling. Um, So what you get a lot of times at these casino shows are really old people. (laughs) And this wasn't an exception. Um, we had about a hundred people at the show and the majority of them were, were really old people. And it's just, I don't know, man, for me, it's really tough when I take the stage and I grab the mic out of the stand and I look out and the first front tables all look like they were just bust in from a senior citizen's home. Cause it's like, I don't know what to talk about. You know, I don't know what references that they're going to get. Um, there's only so many jokes I have about early bird dinner and uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, and sometimes it's hard to read them, you know, because you're thinking to yourself, these people love comedy or they don't, and it's just, uh, and then you're like doing the jokes and you can't tell if they can't hear you or they're not liking what you're doing or, or what's going on. So I was doing my stuff, and I looked out, and and some of the old people were laughing, and others, there was one lady that I just zeroed in on, she was on the front table on the right, and uh, like every joke I was doing, well the whole show, she had a cup of water in front of her, and like her arms folded, and uh, I found out after the show what was kind of going on with people at the show, 
apparently they had told people if they came to the comedy show and stayed for the entire time that afterwards they would have a free five dollars on their players card and that's always <clears throat> that's always good to know that uh that the only reason the majority of the people are there to see the comedy shows they're giving them five dollars you know because most of them didn't even pay to get in they just swiped their players cards and then they just let them into the comedy show um so that in and of itself was kind of a morale deflator um but uh So this lady had her arms crossed the whole show and she's got a cup of water in front of her and she's just looking at me all uh, disapprovingly and and I'd hit certain punchlines and she'd look at her husband and her her husband and actually the other, like it was two two old couples, it was two guys, two ladies and all three of the rest of them at the table were just rolling at everything I was saying and she was just like, you know, arms folded looking disapprovingly and all that kind of shit and... uh, and it was so funny because it became a vendetta for me to make this lady laugh at something, you know. So I kept uh, doing certain bits that I thought maybe she'd like and, and nothing was going over. And uh, it took up until like one of the last jokes that I tell. I've got this joke now about uh, being on Twitter and uh, getting in trouble because I was tweeting a bank um, how to like thinly veiled questions on how to rob it. So when I got to the end of that joke, I said, you know, follow me on Twitter. And then I looked at her and I said, uh, are you on Twitter? And she was like, I don't even know what that is. And I go, of course you don't know what that is. And uh, so the whole table laughed. And then uh, I said, listen, if you were on Twitter, I would totally follow you. That would be an amazing follow. Like, in my kitchen making apple pie. Hashtag hot pie, you know, and I don't know why that made her laugh, but she laughed, and I was like, fuck yeah, I got her, you know, but after the show, I, uh, just, uh, I sold pretty good shirts that, that night, people were pretty jazzed up on the shirts, and they wanted me to go PG-13, which is always kind of a interesting line to run, because, you know, I sell, uh, flapjacks and tit shirts and waffles and cock shirts and when the show is pg-13 i can't say cocks so when i get to that joke i have to say waffles and sex and i don't know if it even goes over the same way as a normal show because the shirt is a rooster eating waffles you know it's a cock and waffles and uh, it says for the lady who enjoys an early riser so it's like I feel like I kind of lose a little bit of the joke when I have to say waffles and sex, but a bunch of people bought it, so I was just like, whatever. Um, so yeah, that uh, that first show was fun. It was uh, it was definitely always an experience to do those uh, do those casino shows. Um, the next show that I did on Friday night, I had to drive to. Uh, this really small town up near, um, Hinkley, Minnesota, called, uh, Minong, Wisconsin, and, uh, I guess they just started doing comedy there, um, but they're really cool people, and, uh, but it was, like, a really strange show, because apparently in Minong, that is the, uh, home of Jack Link's beef jerky, like, that's the, uh, that's the uh, uh, the main 
factory. Sorry, I had a brain fart. The main factory for Jack Link's beef jerky is in Manong. Um, so we checked into our hotel room, which was just like a, a roadside motel, which I was like not happy about, but actually turned out to be a really clean, nice hotel, which was surprising because those roadside motels, sometimes you get in there and it smells like uh, the last tenant was a dead man. Um, so I went down to the show, you know, expecting the worst with small town shows and, uh, it ended up being really fun. It was very strange because it was at, uh, it was like down in the middle of the city and, uh, it was a place called the Manong Community Center or something like that. And then it, uh, as we talked with some of the people there, we found out that that community center used to be a funeral home. So we were like, oh my God, this is kind of weird performing inside an old funeral home, you know? It's just kind of like that creepy feeling. But uh, it was really nice because we got to the green room, or as, uh, what they called the green room. It was just like an alcove off of the, uh, uh, off of where the main stage was. And it was just so hard. <laughs> to perform, you know, sadly, um, the last, like, five years, I've been in, uh, way too many funeral homes, and, uh, it was just hard for me because, like, sitting in the green room, I stopped for a second, and I was like, this is the room, like, like, where they would visit with the families and, like, ask them about their loved ones that just died, and I'm like, man, it's just kind of creepy, and then, uh, I tried to not think about it, and then I was like maybe 10 minutes into my show, and I'm like, I'm standing right where the body would be for the viewing. I'm like, this is kind of gross, but, uh, you know, they pulled out no expenses for us in the green room. We got uh, a big bag full of free beef jerky, which uh, I could have cared less about the comedy show at that point. It was literally like, God, I can eat like $70 worth of beef jerky. It was like 10 different bags and all these different trinkets and everything. It was fucking amazing. I was like, yes! And the lady just started laughing. She's like, every comic that comes through here loves the beef jerky bag more than anything. And I'm like, yeah, because we're, <laughs> we, we're scavengers, you know? We're, we're living on the road on like $9.00. You hand us a bag of protein, we're like, I don't even have to buy lunch or dinner tomorrow. I can just eat this beef jerky and I just save 20 bucks, you know? Uh, but really cool people, really fun show. It was just kind of odd performing in an old funeral home, which is kind of creepy. You know, they gave us uh, a bonus and a big bag of beef jerky and, and a nice hotel room. There's not much else you can say. Like, it was uh, a really fun time. And then uh, Saturday show, I zipped over to uh, Mariette, Wisconsin, which is uh, like across the river from Menominee, Michigan. It's just north of uh, Green Bay. And it's a show that I had done before. And it was just so funny because the last time that I did the show, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but... Uh, you know, there's a lot of occasions when you do stand-up comedy where things get flipped. You know, like, if you do comedy for long enough, sometimes um, your career goes further than other guys, and sometimes guys have to take a step back because they're not evolving as fast as they should, and they're not keeping up with the times. 
So they have to take a step back from headlining and go back to featuring. And if your career is long enough, sometimes, which happened to me, is guys that I was opening for when I started, there was a couple occasions where they were opening for me now. And some of them didn't remember me. Some of them did, and they felt really... uh, you know, put off by the fact that they had to open for a guy that opened for them. So when I got there the first time, it was like Valentine's Day a couple years ago, and Anita, my wife, came with me, and uh, the guy that I was working with, he has a room in Wisconsin, and I tried forever to get into this room, because it was like this room where all the guys from, because it was only like a two-hour drive from Minneapolis, and for whatever reason, tons of Minneapolis guys were getting to go down and do this comedy room, and it was like a Friday, Saturday. It wasn't that meant much money, but it was like this point of pride or like, uh, you know, feather in your cap to say that you had gone and done this room because it meant that you got to go on the road, and I hadn't gotten to go on the road at that point. So I was like obsessed with getting into this room, and this guy didn't think I was funny, and he had no interest in putting me in his room, and, and it just got really combative at one point so one time I was driving through the town where the club was on the night that they were doing a show and I went in there and I said you know I'm really want to work here but the guy that books it doesn't think that I'm that funny I go is it possible for me to do a guest spot so you can see me and decide for yourself so they allowed me to do that and then they booked me outside of this guy which you know it's a big no-no but you know what what was I going to do the guy had made its decision on me and sometimes you have to go other routes so they hired me and he got all pissed off and then we became you know not friends I don't think we were enemies but we just weren't friends um so I show up to this gig and this guy that ran this club he was opening for me and he's a you know a headliner in his own right and I guess he took a step back because he needed the gig and he only lived like an hour away from the show And I come in and he's like, oh, you're the headliner? And I was like, yeah. And then he disappeared and he came back and he said, uh, he said, I talked to the manager and and, uh, I guess since they don't have an MC, um, they want us both to do an hour. And usually in comedy, like people only have the capacity for like 90 minutes. A two hour comedy show is just ridiculous. So, uh, I said, oh, that's fine. I go, could you do just like 45? That way it won't be that bad. And he was like, oh, of course. And then he ends up doing 60 minutes and he was going to like intro me. And I gave him this intro to read and he completely like didn't read the intro at all. He just did a joke about, uh, Minneapolis and Wisconsin and, uh, and it just got, uh, Sorry. So instead of doing my intro, he uh, he does this joke about Minnesota and Wisconsin because he's from Green Bay and I'm from Minnesota. So he tells this joke and it's total like uh, go Packers type of thing and, and people like lose their minds. And instead of doing my intro, he goes... Uh, and now your headliner, who's from Minnesota, and everybody starts booing, and then he goes, Mark Poulos, and uh, anyways, needless to say, I uh, I killed it, 
sold a ton of merch after the show and he was pissed about it. Um, so what was funny about that story, I don't know if I told the story on the podcast before, but, uh, uh, I worked with another comic who was a mentor of mine and I told him that story. And, uh, the next morning when I woke up, he, he was like, uh, he goes, hey, I called everybody and told them that story so they won't book that guy anymore. And I was like, why would you do such a thing? Um, so I always felt weird about that guy because I felt like I kind of ruined his career a little bit. And we ended up meeting up later on to do some shows together. And I was opening for him because it was a different booker that wasn't booking me as a headliner. And, and we ended up bearing the hatchet. And I was glad about that because I felt bad about that whole situation. But uh, so getting back to the show on Saturday, I had like this bad taste in my mouth about the show the last time I did it because I was like, you know, all that bad shit went down. And this kid that I was working with this weekend, really nice kid from Chicago. um, And the night before he had done his time and and did a really good job. And then um, for whatever reason, he ended up doing an hour on Saturday and I was like losing my mind in the back of the room. But then I stopped for a second and I had this like, I had this like flash and I was like, wait a minute, am I the fucking asshole? Like, is this how it's supposed to be? Like for whatever reason, are the openers supposed to do an hour and the headliners do an hour and it's like a two hour show? And uh, fucking sure enough, I find out from the management that they want the openers to do at least 45 minutes because um, they don't have an MC and they want to try to sell as many drinks as possible. And I could have never, I felt so fucking bad about thinking that this other guy, uh, you know, did this shit on his own, but they actually told him to do 45 to an hour. And I felt like the biggest dumbass. I was like, God. All that bad shit that went on between me and him, and he fucking didn't do anything. Like, it was all in my head. But that was the type of stuff I was going, you know, I was dealing with back then. You know, I, I've i talked about it a bunch of times. Like, I got to the point doing stand-up, like, I hated myself so much that I couldn't even find any joy in any of the stand-up shows. Like, the minute I would get to the venue, like, I would be pissed off at everything, you know, I'd be pissed off at the way the room was set up, or how many people in the crowd, what kind of people were in the crowd, and, um, and, you know, the person I was working with, and how he was doing stand-up, and how long he was on stage, or if he was doing crowd rap, or no crowd rap, and, you know, just everything pissed me off at that point, and, uh, so I had one of those revelation moments this weekend where I was just like, oh my God, I've never felt more like a dick in my entire life because, you know, here I am thinking, like, there's no other explanation than this guy was threatened by me and decided to try to fuck me, you know? No, it was just, they actually asked him to do a little bit more time so they could sell more drinks. And I didn't want to believe it because, you know, at the time I was just blinded by anger for, you know, the world in and of itself. And 
I don't know. It's like those moments in your life, man, where where something happens and it immediately changes your view on something that happened in the past. I don't know if you've ever had that before where, you know, for so long something happened when you were like 22 and you've only seen it the one way, like the one way you wanted to see it. And then for whatever reason, maybe you run into somebody that was involved in the story or, you know, the person, the person that you were dealing with in the middle of the story, you guys like reconnect and they're trying to make amends for their life. And, you know, they tell you their point of view and, and it kind of shakes things up, but it's a strange moment because it just really shows you how many sides of a story that there can be, you know, it's not always just your side, you know, and that's, what's kind of taught me in recovery is like, you know, if you get entrenched in one point of view, um, you're just, you're going to eat yourself up from inside out. You know, you have to see things from other people's point of view or, you know, it's just going to eat you up, you know, but all in all, I think it was a good week. I had a lot of fun, you know, sold a bunch of bitch and creep and titty shirts and, uh, getting to short drive back home and, uh, get to be with, uh, my family and my tiny daughter. And that's the best part of the week when I get home. So hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Uh, check it out on iTunes and Podbean. Uh, check out my website, largedrunkman.com for dates. Follow me on Twitter at, at the Mark Poulos and tune in next time when we talk about who knows.